It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we pick apart all of the episodes of The Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. Joining me today, um, we were just talking, it's temporally confusing. It's his second time here, but it's the first time you're hearing him. Uh, hello, John Arminio. Hey, uh, thanks for having me back for the first time. Yeah, you get to do it like a double uh, introduction and uh, of course you do a fair amount of podcasting so I, I should probably ask you to throw that up front again for the first time sure um yeah I do a podcast called popcorn eschaton with my buddy Scott Thoreau um, he's also the co-host of the podcast zebras in America so you can find it in the zebras in America feed uh, we tackle everything from the last temptation of Christ to the 36th chamber of Shaolin um from a spiritual and or leftist perspective uh and it's been a lot of fun because a lot of those are my favorite movies and uh we have a good time talking about them i couldn't remember the word eschaton what is, what is that <laughs> that is the uh study of the end times oh okay that's so, like es- es- so if you're an eschatologist you you study the end of the world Ooh, okay. I have a few books on my Kindle about that that I haven't. Maybe I've read one or two, but yeah, mm. still a few. You know how the world will end. That that always freaked me out as a kid. Like uh, on my parents' bookshelf, there was a the day the sun dies. Right? You know, it's just yeah. talking about how it like, what happens in billions of years or whatever. But you know, when I was five years old and I could already read, I'm like, the sun's gonna die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like really. It seems that Rod Sterling himself was fascinated by that very topic. That is true. Uh, not today's topic necessarily, although it has mm-hmm. uh, it has some apocalypse sprinkled in, of course. So yeah, that's yeah. Um, one more Paul Bearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me hit everyone up with a touch of the trivia. The original air date is January twelfth, nineteen sixty-two. It's a Serling script, and regular director Lamont Johnson takes on that role again. Paul Radin was played by Joseph Wiseman, apparently referred to as the spookiest actor in the American theater. While he had a prolific career on television and screen, he is, of course, best known as the OG Bond villain Julius No in the first Bond film, Dr. No. Catherine Squire played Mrs. Langford. She showed up in many of those 1950s television playhouses, and she'll return to the zone in the episode In His Image. She also made film appearances, such as the cult classic Two Lame Blacktop, and her final appearance was in When Harry Met Sally. Trevor Bardet was Colonel Hawthorne. He appeared in many television roles, including spots on the adventures of Superman and a recurring role on The Legend of Wyatt Earp. Finally, Reverend Hughes was played by Gage Clark. He did the Western rounds on television, showing up in those old standbys, Gunsmoke and Maverick. All right, uh, John, I am tossing 
you the prologue to okay. read as thou wilt. What you have just looked at takes place 300 feet underground, beneath the basement of a New York City skyscraper. It's owned and lived in by one Paul Radin. Mr. Radin is rich, eccentric, and single-minded. How rich, we can already perceive. How eccentric and single-minded, we shall see in a moment, because all of you have just entered the Twilight Zone. All right, thanks. Now, the elephant room is... The elephant in the room, of course, is a, in a season one episode that uh, whose name is escaping me at the moment. But, um, you know, it's worth talking about Dr. No here. How how deep is your bond? Uh, pretty deep. <laughs> I've, um, speaking of podcasting, I talked about every single one of those movies on the Pink Smoke podcast with my friend John Cribbs. Um, and we actually recently did a commentary for The Living Daylight. So I'm all up in Mr. James Bond and Joseph Wiseman. Yeah, I mean, he just like, you know, well, I guess this guy is a supervillain in, in the episode. It's just it's so, yeah. you know, small scale. You don't completely read it, but this is total Bond stuff. I, you know, I, I got the yeah, he has a secret underground lair. Yeah, yeah. I got the Blu-rays, but um. For better or for worse, I usually when I feel like watching a Bond movie, I'm like, Moonraker, <laughs> which is probably the wrong choice. But I, I like no, keeping the, well, some weird space. Like, <laughs> for me, there is something very comforting about the Roger Moore era. Like all you could just like turn on those movies and feel good. Like a lot of them are really uneven. They're paced strangely. They got bad comedy, but they're all a fun watch. Well, yeah, he rides a gondola up on the uh, up on the streets of Venice, which yeah. is, is, is that's great. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess Moonraker is like for me a better Austin Powers than Austin Powers is. <laughs> I, I see what you mean. Yeah, I can like, see it's, that. It's kind of cross the veil because you know you watch the Craig ones and those are just like generally just pretty good, right? Yeah. Although I hate to admit it, but I mostly forgot what happened in the last one. Although I have only watched it once, so. <laughs> I'll have to get back to that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I get uh, Dr. No is also 62, isn't it? Um, so 61. 61. 61. Okay. So he's just yeah. following up with yeah. this episode. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with a very similar role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he just has such a a way with words. And Dr. No is kind of, being the first is a bit of an oddball Bond movie because um, it's, again, it's been a little while since I watched it, but. You know, instead of the big brassy theme, and it has like Calypso, so that that always throws yep. you off a little bit, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, because um, John Barry wasn't on to, to score. No, he he. Uh, oh, I can't, I can't, I can never get it straight. Um, uh, the the order of how John Barry came to score the movies, but oh no, he he did score the movie, but it's the theme that he's not credited with scoring, even though he did arrange it um so there's that um and you know there's no vocal on on the the theme song like we would get uh with the next you know 20 some uh so it is a little bit of an outlier and especially because it's like the fifth bond book so you yeah. don't really get get a proper introduction to the character like you do in casino royale exactly um, I, I i mean there you know the recent ones certainly found a nice vibe for that so yeah um, but yeah, we do have the the billionaire Raiden. I mean, that's that's right there. That's already like a Bond supervillain name. So yeah, yeah. 
sometimes watching these Twilight Zones, it, it, we we do get in a discussion of like what current things might have influenced the episodes. Like when we did the shelter, apparently in the summer of '61, like building your own bomb shelter actually was like a major national issue. That's when they started doing the um the the fallout shelters in schools. Yeah. So I am wondering, I mean, obviously they got the guy, but I, I am wondering how much they were actually thinking of the James Bond supervillain when they when they did this episode. And, and you know, I think this episode would play better now because I think insecure narcissistic billionaires with over like out of bounds influence over the media that's something we're dealing with now like you could easily see somebody like elon musk or or um uh, who's the the asshole that got booed at um at boston He's university I'm not sure. There's Jeff Bezos. It's always fun to throw a few dots uh, yeah. in that direction. <laughs> um, like, their ego is so outsized, coupled with crippling insecurity, that they will, they will, you know, take a slight suffered, you know, on Twitter a decade ago and harbor that forever and go to such ludicrous means to try and um like get rev petty revenge on those people and, and so i'm wondering you know in the early 60s when when the specter of the apocalypse was the communist menace you know rod sterling was making and the ultimate capitalist the ultimate villain and so i'm just wondering if if this if the morals of this episode might have been lost in the 60s, but are very like bonk bonk on the head now. Yeah, I'm watching this and thinking like I'm almost like watching like an analog Twitter with these three people from his past in the room yeah. that he has, you know, kind of a, a weird grudge at. Um, well, I, we'll we'll get into the nature of the grudges a little bit more. But yeah, obviously, Twitter and Elon Musk was. Maybe not obviously, but uh, David Zaslav was, like, was the guy I was mind. thinking of. Uh, Warner Warner Brothers CEO David Zaslav. Oh, uh, okay. I, I sorry, I was not going to pull that name out. So okay. <laughs> I have heard it before, but it's not in my recall bank. Yeah. Um, but one of the billionaires that's not paying the WGA writers. <laughs> Yeehaw! Yeah, yep. I guess that's still going on as we yep. record this. But. I guess, you know, because we, we've watched Elon Musk by Twitter. We're watching him from the outside and just like being this guy doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem to have all his marbles there in, in this in a certain kind of way. But it's distant, right? We're just like, oh, Twitter's weird, you know, mm. whereas this is nice because we do get the thought patterns like, you know, put into dialogue and things like that because he does feel very justified in making this sort yeah. of practical joke and you know just letting it out with these people so and it it is strange that he he doesn't have any enemies that he wants to get revenge on um more more recently in his life like they're all from the the most recent one is from world war ii 20 years ago um and I, I think uh, the 
the episode begins in a really interesting way that kind of like puts the viewer off balance, at least if they're familiar with the Twilight Zone, because normally if you're watching the Twilight Zone and you see an officer, especially like an, an older man, not remember putting a junior officer on court-martial because he because that junior officer refused to lead what he saw as a senseless attack and then that colonel says i would have killed you from the viewer's perspective oh that's going to be the bad guy (laughs) you know this is going to be the person who needs comeuppance because he's an asshole he put his men uh, at risk for his own personal glory Uh, but then it soon becomes clear no that's not the case this billionaire obviously, is the person that um, Serling is really sinking his his teeth into. So we're confronted with both authority figures and billionaires. He's a millionaire in the episode, but uh, which are figures that Rod Serling likes to, you know, criticize. And so putting them all in this tight box, I think, is an interesting way to tell the story. So that's where I was saying I wanted to break down the grudges a little bit because um, I am thinking, one, this is kind of an emotional, you know, uh, mind bleepery thing with these three people, right? Whereas maybe more recent enemies, he just, you know, does a hostile corporate takeover sort of thing. He's yeah, not like possible. A, he's maybe not emotionally invested because he's just he's a titan of business, you know, now facing other titans of business. So, mm-hmm. but, the you know, he's still just got uh something in his grill about these people from his more distant past uh but yeah like you're saying the 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 colonel almost comes across like a villain and that's the one where i'm like does that make this guy like does that redeem raiden a little bit i mean i don't know in 1962 is just like defying a order from your army superior for something you think is senseless i mean that feels like almost heroic now you know <laughs> yeah and it it could easily have been heroic if raiden was a more redeemable character but i think by the end of it, it, it especially once we get his character more you know elucidated by the teacher and the reverend he was probably in the wrong it's probably his fault that those men died or by, maybe by it not... wasn't so much of a um position of honor as a position of cowardice yes I mean, exactly which, yeah, yeah, he acted with cowardice i mean you know i i'm a pretty pacifist guy i'm, I'm not mm-hmm. i mean I'm, but i'm not going to lead the people in the first place in, in that situation I, I feel like just i would stay out of that position in reality you know uh and i haven't been drafted i haven't been through a war i don't know how this works so you know not yeah. 20 was exactly so um i don't i mean he was never like in command of people though he did get you know pretty notably injured for the rest of his life but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I, I'm sure he watched things like that happen but that was the one where uh yeah raiden is such a super villain of course we're not going to come down his side on the end but i was like in this one aspect you know the, the clock the broken clock is right twice a day right so yeah <laughs> um the reverend i kept forgetting what the grudge basically was there because i was just like uh yeah it's it's the church, so of course he's got a grudge. <laughs> yeah, and th- and that's an, another you know institution that's you know ripe for being taken down, and so when those three people are are presented, 
it's e easy to believe that they sort of deserve what's coming to them. Um, but then I guess it's revealed that, you know, Raiden drove a girl to suicide, but we don't get really the details of how that happened. I think that's pretty um, weak in terms of the storytelling of the episode, because it's just so vague as, as to how that happened. Whereas um, Mrs. Langsford gets to, monologue you know, about how the tires hit the asphalt with this guy yeah. basically you know yeah um yeah she puts in relief because yeah like we like you're saying it's a little too vague with the reverend the colonel you're like are we sure that you know maybe he wasn't who's in the right in this i don't know because they're both mm -hmm. horrible so it, it's hard to say but yeah yeah with his uh miss mrs langford is definitely the the main sounding board for this episode for for raiden so. Yeah, and it's interesting that that Raiden tells the Reverend like, "Oh, it's just like you to give an overly wordy explanation when he's the one who talks the least in this episode." <laughs> it's like um, yeah, it's like the whole butters thing on South Park. Butters, stop talking. I'm not talking. You know, <laughs> some yeah. people just yeah. get that thing in their direction. But yeah, Mrs. Langford. Um, and I mean. I yeah I pretty even with the uh, you know generational gap with the creation of these episodes and things I'm like eh, that was my high school English teacher basically mm, I mean yeah. she didn't talk to me that way because I wasn't horrible towards her but uh, yeah it, she just you know like I found a very naturalistic tone coming out of her where she's slightly confused you know I mean by the situation not that you know like she's i'm not calling her cena or anything like that but yeah she's slightly confused by this weird situation but is able to relatively easily stand her uh moral ground and, and then walk out of her moral ground and take the elevator back up so yeah <laughs> and it, to, to me it, it also showed uh raiden's character that he he keeps just calling her school marm like as if that's her name you know and of course she, it's mrs langford so she's married uh, so it's it's not like she's, you know, what in the 50s and 60s, the absolute worst thing you could you could be in America was an unmarried woman. Um, the old maid. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, what a nightmare. <laughs> um, and of course, he was probably in high school 25 years earlier. So she would have been like in her mid 20s then. But he still calls from the school marm. Uh, what a psycho. Um, so just immediately belittling her and reducing any sort of beliefs or perspective she might have to to beneath his notice, which is, you know, uh, just like a rich guy. Yeah, just uh, with the creation of this episode, one thing, especially watching it, um, having my third view last night for, for this podcast, I mean, the third mm -hmm. view in like a week, by the way, but uh, <laughs> I really started to notice just how much detail there is in the script because especially the Serling scripts there are some kind of boilerplate ones that show up here and there where I'm like yeah, yeah I just imagine he was like dictaphoning by his pool to do this episode but this one just seems to have a lot of little wrinkles in the dialogue that you know shine I mean that could be how the actor's delivering it as well but um I felt like there was a little more like time and attention on this particular script, which I could be wrong. That's just my guess. So, yeah. Yeah. When, when he says, when Raiden says, couldn't you have had some sympathy for me? Cause he, he's, he's caught cheating. And, um, and she reveals that not only was he caught cheating, 
but he tried to pin it on um, another student. And so she says, neither sympathy nor compassion can be handed out wholesale like cheap bubblegum. You are a devious, dishonest troublemaker. And in spite of all your millions, you are still devious and dishonest. Just turning that knife, Mrs. Langsford. Get him. <laughs> so uh, what would you do in this situation? Uh, let's, let's think of how you slighted this guy. Um. Maybe you were the person he tried to pin the the cheating on in high school and didn't take the fall. You didn't take the fall for him, so he's you're in this bomb shelter now with him. Uh, what, what are you going to take the elevator up? Are you going to hang out? You you could you know sucker punch him and make it your shelter now. I guess if you really think I, I guess worse, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would not want to spend eternity with this psycho. Uh, I think I would take the elevator up. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess most people would. Um, of course, there's his whole deception as well. Like he's trying yep. to be like, "Hey, the world's ending," so it's it's mere oblivion. So that does make the choice a little stronger, you know? Because mm -hmm. like I'm saying, you're like, I, I'm I'm thinking here in complete feral ways. But I'm like, well, if you know the world is dead now, you probably could take out this guy and make it your bomb shelter who knows maybe it's got back rooms and it's like blast from the past with uh, brendan frazier that'd be cool yeah. <laughs> he's got a thousand movies on 35 millimeter in a screen room yeah so all sorts of food yeah if it's a blast from the past uh fallout shelter that would change the story a little bit you know yeah <laughs> He does have that cool monitor which is high tech because it has a, like a ring of light bulbs around it that's cool and and what is it like a mobile or something because there's like shadows keep changing on the wall because something's like moving like a mobile or, or a yeah. chandelier or something so that yeah, was kind of like cool a, cinematography yeah a proto holodeck yeah yeah exactly but yeah there is a certain thing that the, the shelters we've seen in a twilight zone this one i guess we could count mr bemis's um bank vault you know mm -hmm. the shelter and the shelter these are all just like the most rudimentary, like, oh, God, I would not want to be in there sort of shelters. <laughs> yeah. Though I suppose if you're in New York City, the only way to avoid death is the most, like, sturdy physical structure imaginable. Like, there would be no room for any sort of accoutrements on, on this thing, because New York would probably be the first place anybody would, would try to nuke um and I, I would guess i don't know if any structure unless you're like a thousand feet underground would be able to safeguard you from a nuclear blast that the, uh that direct yeah oh just uh i i noticed i put in my notes i called it a low rent holodex i guess i i need to uh, agree uh, with yeah. you there <laughs> well high rent because it's a uh, new york i don't know if you're 300 feet underground in new york city do you is the rent better down there right. <laughs> uh, i'm sure that now they'll, they'll find a way to, to charge you a thousand dollars a square foot is that where the morlocks live yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> something like that um so i did it was kind of a quick turn where raiden loses it uh, i mm -hmm. guess he just has a full-on psychotic break um, kind of a weird twist there, but I, I do like how they use that bizarre uh, sculpture as sort of the linchpin between his his new I'm crazy reality and, you know, actual 
well actual in this episode new york city yeah. so the the yeah the totem for the totem for his psychosis is corporate art love it oh yeah the front of that building well that yes that it wasn't good corporate art but the uh the facade behind it for Raiden Corporation was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, of course a supervillain lives in this building or works in this building or or whatever. Mm. But yeah, well, just like Elon Musk, you know, after he took Twitter and, and people started leaving, he basically tied the remaining workers to their desk and said, like, you know, if... Until the work gets done, nobody leaves. I'm bringing in sleeping bags. We're all going to sleep here and do our jobs. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's his terrible management is, um, you know, making everybody's lives and jobs worse. And I, I can imagine Raiden not being much better. Yeah, I, I know there's um, I mean, I haven't been there, so who knows? It could be propaganda. I've read about, you know, some some Chinese factories like having nets around the building in case people want to jump yeah i i have heard that too but i i can't recall if that was verified or not but but also i mean you know amazon employees not being able to have bathroom breaks so they're peeing in bottles on their shifts like that's not any more cartoonishly evil yeah that that's what would be reported in china right so yeah yeah <laughs> it, perspective is a hell of a thing in the end isn't it yeah <laughs> So, uh, do you have any other big takes you want to throw out on this one? Just observations. Um, oh, I, I I was really struck by, um, when the reverend says he'd rather die in the presence of someone he loves than spend the rest of his life alone. Um, you know, Raiden like scoffs at him and like accuses him, um, you know, you just you want to save your precious high, your sanctified flesh. That's what preoccupies you at the moment. Um, and says he's he says the the reverend is being theatrical, uh, more burlesque than legitimate. Like he he can't conceive of another person connecting to human beings in a way profound enough that they'd love them and want to to die with them rather than live alone like he's so separated from human relationships that that he's he's gone off the, the deep end and that's an interesting projection as well because like you said the reverend is like not being very theatrical at all i mean the acting's fine but it's it's low-key whereas um yeah you know raiden is is chewing up all the scenery in his fallout shelter you know so yeah <laughs> so, you know once you're you, calling someone too theatrical and sanctified flesh in the same sentence it's like wait a minute wait wait that that's theatrical so it's yeah. kind of a weird projection i mean that might be yeah. how he's gotten into this position because clearly mm -hmm. he doesn't like you said he doesn't have the human relations so things he maybe doesn't like about himself he's just tossing off to whoever is around him yeah his projections re reveal his own insecurities yeah so yeah psychodrama city for for sure in this episode but yeah. uh <laughs> I mean, and another another Twilight Zone that's very much like a black box theater script. It's very few characters, one set, and and just writing on um, Sterling's dialogue. You know, it's it's really great. 
Yeah, I was very happy making the trivia because I didn't have to decide which actors to talk about and which ones not to yeah. talk about. Because it's like, well, there's five on the screen. Not not as good as uh, Agnes Moorhead and the Invaders. That was that was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's kind of nice to have like the like uh, what was it? Catherine Squire, Mrs. Langford was you know a playhouse player, so she yeah. obviously did a ton of this sort of thing, and maybe that's why uh, other than Joseph Wiseman, I I, I would definitely say she's the one that acting wise is is going toe to toe with him mm-hmm. the other two kind of fade into the background a little bit she she becomes their leader just by force of personality of, of these uh weird uh summoned people yeah and you know joseph wiseman is such an interesting actor like he has such a, a striking face um very angular um just very stern and stoic um looking but he's able to sort of explode in this outburst of emotions and he's he has this sort of like british affectation to his voice but he was born in quebec so I guess we call that the mid-atlantic accent <laughs> yeah yeah so he he doesn't talk like a real human you know he sounds like somebody doing the impression of a human and, and so he's already just like putting you off balance just by looking to you and, and talking at you, which is why he's the perfect first Bond villain. And, and obviously I, I think he's great here for the same reason. Yeah. Because when you watch him on screen, you are watching like basically him do his super villain stick again. But when the, epi- once you've turned the episode off and you're finished with it, you think back and like, Oh, there was a petulant child in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's how he comes across in the end. Yeah, and I, I love um, Mrs. Langsford says, um, your whole life is made of illusions. Illusions are what people have done to you. Illusions about what justice is. Illusions about what the, is dignity of even the lowest of us. A fantasy, Mr. Raiden, and now you can have it all to yourself. Ooh. Well, he does get the fantasy to himself. That's that's yeah. this, That's the twist, which I yeah. think this is one of the more twist episodes we've had recently because season one's every episode's a twist right two mostly but three has been getting out of like being quite as o henry like i think Mm -hmm. um just looking around some episodes that surround this um once upon a time doesn't really have a twist five characters searches the next has a major twist equality of mercy basically gets the twist out in the first five minutes and then deals with it uh nothing in the dark not a major i mean i guess there's a twist but it's kind of like like obvious on purpose in that episode i think that's the the robert redford one we did last week um yeah so i mean obviously it's still a, a, a min, uh midnight sun has the twist but that's like the last minute of the episode and you could mm-hmm. actually go without it and it would still be a pretty good episode so uh yeah i'm just finding that the twists are, are less needed but this one has a very necessary twist i think if if he doesn't end up in like the uh even worse version of mr bemis's uh apocalypse you know yeah yeah it's <laughs> certainly a hell of his own making because you feel a little bad like uh when we did the episode i'm like yeah i i don't really like mr bemis but <laughs> yeah but you know like i re- but you feel bad for him even if you don't like him you know Whereas yeah. this guy, you're just like, yeah, yeah, he that's the correct prison for him, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, who knows how many people he's ruined along the way to that, you know, self-imposed Armageddon. Yeah, as a millionaire, I mean, he's, you know, yeah. he might be responsible for a few more suicides, if not, you know, like direct deaths. Um, yeah, and, and considering he's a media mogul, I'm sure this is a little bit of Sir Lane exercising his anger at the network, um, you know, after the second season had the experiments with doing episodes on, on videotape. He was probably like these network executives are going to really feel it now. <laughs> Maybe that's why I put so much, you know, a brain fuel into that dialogue. Is yeah. just trying to, you know, Mr. Mrs. Langford being a, a bit of a proxy. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's why that character is so strong. That's uh Rod venting through her, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, and you know, especially in the first season, like um proxies for Sherling were usually uh like writers or ad executives, you know, like uh upper middle class white guys. And so for him to have this very intelligent and dignified uh, female teacher to be his proxy, I think is, is, is interesting. Right. Here's a, a little thought experiment. If this would improve or the episode have no effect or, or even make it worse. I would just, you know, I recently did watch this in Canigan for, for a podcast. And um, when I was watching this, I was wondering if we got just maybe a 30 second newsreel of Raiden, like just seeing what his mm. public persona is might make this episode stronger because like you know in kane we see this you know this great man and then spend the rest of the movie deconstructing him so i was wondering if we just got a little taste of raiden's actual public image and then got to see him you know lose it in his shelter that yeah that, i wonder if that would improve the episode i don't know or or not what, what's your thought on that um i i think the format of these episodes of the Twilight Zone necessitates the least amount of information possible just because they're just half hours. And so because we already don't have enough of the Reverend and his story that I think even like 30 seconds excise from the episode might make it weaker. And so I think we get enough of him being um, an eccentric millionaire. So I, I, I think the... The opening narration is enough to, to give us his his character and also his actions. But if this was an hour long episode, I I think I would I would go for that. Yeah, yeah, I guess the season four thing would would work that way. But yeah, it is it is nice. I mean, there's just so so much media now just needs to explain everything. You know, like mm -hmm. the the Star Wars prequel detail of we need to explain every single thing or. Even solo, it's like we have to explain where Han's dice came from. It's like why? Yeah, <laughs> I don't need to know that. You know, if I think that would be a fun gag if they didn't explain why his last name is Solo. There, no one was asking for it. Yeah, exactly, because he's <laughs> he's never by himself anyway. He's always with Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I like so in that case, I think that movie just overdid it. Um, I think the, the dice thing could have been cute if it wasn't just overkill. But but yeah, I, I like thing things being left up to the audience to figure out. Uh, and that's what I think is special about um, the, some of the best TV of this time. Uh, obviously, like if you're watching Gunsmoke or Bonanza, 
they're not <laughs> giving you you know intellectual puzzles to chew on but you know that's what's special about the twilight zone yeah i mean it's just it's giving you a mystery box that is going to be fulfilled by the the end of the episode so yeah um sometimes not in the most satisfying way but you shouldn't have too many questions so i i still have a grudge i i think i've focused my grudge on a damon limtoff who seems to be the king of endless league evolving puzzle boxes that never you know turn to anything because after lost people were like ah oh, jj jj wasn't really involved after the first episode mm-hmm. and then prometheus came out did the same thing i was like ah, i'm gonna blame it on damon there <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of fascinating seeds with with those stories that are never brought to fruition um god both of those alien sequels i think have like really interesting and cool parts um but th- they don't cohere in ways that um that i would like i mean michael fassbender god he's, he's so great. brilliant as, prometheus in particular wow. i would call that one of the best looking sci-fis ever the sets yeah. and the designs just and again the acting's generally pretty good it's just yeah it's just that obsession with you we have to have a puzzle box when in that yeah. case we just want to see some aliens pop out of some stomachs and rip people apart or something so yeah and, and you know i i think throwers. especially especially with movies like alien there's no way if you're doing a sequel to alien there's no way to replicate what it was like in 1979 to see a chest come out of john hurt for the first time like you, you cannot blow an audience's mind in in the same franchise that way, and so I I think it is to the filmmakers' credit that they're like reaching for new things, but I think they're wrong-headed. Well, let's just explain where the xenomorphs come from. Like that's not what we want, you know? Right, because the original Alien, you see the the what is it Giger? Is that how you say his name? Uh, the Giger yeah, yeah, design, Giger, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. see the well, what we now say is the engineer ship at the time is just like the really creepy alien ship, you know? Yeah. Nothing is explained, but it's not really a puzzle box. It's just weird. It's it's alien. And yeah. of course it's not explained and you because don't, you don't know movie. what the thing is. He's it's it looks like he would be 10 or 12 feet tall. Is it his body? Is it a suit? It's just this thing that's like off-putting and and just you know, an, an eldritch horror. Um, and so the more you explore its origins, the less terrifying it is. Yeah. And the, the frustration of Prometheus in particular, I think, is just that, like, oh, we need to explain this thing that you didn't think needed explaining anyway. And we're going to yeah. do it without explaining anything and, like, raising more questions, which is kind of yeah. like them trying to have their cake and eat it, too. Um, yeah. But, and, but... and you know, like, for me, you know, for somebody who who is a... a you know, a, a person of faith for the horror to come from like human finds God, God finds human pathetic. Like, that's a really interesting <laughs> angle to take to, to find new ways to make alien hor- horrifying again. But it just, it just never gets there. And, and that's frustrating. Um, one thing when when we did uh Prometheus though our guest for theirs just just to put that up a little bit because one thing about that movie is while it's flawed I find it you know 
endlessly fascinating mm-hmm, and our mm-hmm. you know uh we we had the our, our guest on like kind of pushing that it's now that everyone is like sure die hard's a christmas movie he's sort of pushing for the prometheus as a, a christmas movie because <laughs> but well if you listen they're talking about the dates it is it is christmas time when that movie okay. takes place interesting and uh, uh we did the podcast two years ago i'd have to listen to it again but he has some relatively at least you know interesting points on how there's certain biblical things kind of like baked yeah, into yes. that yeah. movie. Uh, so. yeah for sure yeah it's um there are way worse science fiction movies than than prometheus and, and covenant so um way worse alien movies yeah yeah so yeah I, I guess prometheus is one of my biggest love hate movies just to, to end that mm, yeah. tangent and just to throw out again that that's my example because an episode like this is a pretty perfect puzzle box so yeah uh everything works out in the end um i mean well it doesn't work out in the end but that's that's <laughs> part of the whole come up and sing so let's let's throw a few questions on this uh who in this episode goes into travels through is of the twilight zone um where do these people stand um yeah uh raiden's deep in the twilight zone he he found a portal into it there's an elevator into it (laughs) yeah yeah no no worse destiny for for this guy to show like through entering the twilight zone his he's being shown that his whole worldview is flawed and that he's nothing but a weak insecure narcissist you know you have had a lot of uh guys just like falling apart and like kind of stumbling around in in, in in an alternate world this season the arrival had one of them uh there's a oh death's head revisited with that guy Mm -hmm. very much deserving to end up in that fate so yeah it is the third one season where someone kind of has this kind of fate the guy in the arrival you feel really bad for him because he you know couldn't solve this crash and went nuts whereas the other two people this well raiden is less reprehensible than you know the ss concentration camp commandant yeah. so you know i'm not going to put i'm not going to put raiden on that level i think i don't i mean again we don't really know what raiden's been up to in the corporate world but uh yeah i'm gonna guess yeah he's not that guilty what i kind of like is the setup here is raiden is of the twilight zone and the three people from his past are going to go through the twilight zone. But in the end, it's like, you know, Raiden tried to set that up consciously, but the twilight zone does what it will in the end. Right. So yeah, he, he, he it backfires. He ends up in there and the other people, their twilight zone is coming out of that elevator and being like, Oh, everything's fine. Well, that guy really was a prick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna I, feel I, smart. I, it would have been interesting to see their different reactions to the world being just normal and just being like, Oh, of course this guy was a liar. That's his whole deal. So they got a fun twilight zone, which we did not again in the 45 minute. And I'm saying that cause that's how long the hour episodes actually run. Right. In the hour long episode, uh, you'd get that, I guess. Mm-hmm. That is the flaw though. You add that little, my newsreel idea. Maybe we'll add that. We'll have the reaction shots at the end. We're ne- we've now got a 35-minute episode, which means there's 10 minutes missing, which is why some of the season four ones drag a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see that definitely in like Outer Limits and, and even Star Trek where you, it's like a 35, 40-minute idea stretched to 50 minutes. I guess that is one plus to modern television is you get to make your episode as long as you want to, if it's streaming. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, Although we have seen a lot of series where a 45 minute episode is stretched to 60 and just like, get this thing over with. Or there's the 45 minute episode that you actually don't need in the 10 episode run or something. Yeah. 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 That certainly. So I don't know. I guess it's kind of a uh, double edged sword on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess we're we're gonna put Raiden as the guy who just went in the Twilight Zone. Uh, does he deserve his trip into the Twilight Zone? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. This is a guy who spends his days inventing cruel practical jokes to get at people who <laughs> humiliated him in his past in ways that he deserved anyway. Um, he he's a a bitter, self absorbed narcissist. He deserves everything he gets. Yeah, I felt a little stupid actually asking the question this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, how about his three potential victims? Do they deserve this experience? Are they? Is this actually going to make them better or smarter? Or is you know is the colonel just going to get his his own Twilight Zone maybe next week because <laughs> he didn't um, seem that great. Yeah, I I could definitely see the colonel becoming worse, like his just ego being blown up and being and, and thinking that, well, of course, every decision I, I made as a military authority figure is right and correct. Um, but but I think uh, the moral compasses of Mrs. Langford and and uh, the, the reverend are probably strengthened and they're probably going to appreciate their families all the more after this this experience yeah so so maybe colonel hawthorne did not deserve his trip into the twilight zone because it it has the potential to make him more insufferable okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) he'll he'll deserve it in the fourth season right uh let's put this one on the tripometer zero being not trippy at all five being very trippy um i think for raiden it's a four because his mind gets blown. Um, but it's not a five because it's through means of his, his own devising. Uh, but for the other characters, I would say it's like a two. Because it's just a rich guy being a jerk, which happens a lot. I don't know. I I, I was going to give this episode a, a four as well. And with okay. Raiden being the main reason. Uh, but now I'm thinking, I, I've never split the tripometers uh, with thinking about the other people being a two, I would bump them up to at least a three because they got this weird random like invite slash demand that they come yeah. to this bizarre shelter deep under New York City. It looks like yeah, the hour version the would ha- yeah, the hour version would have to explain why they accepted the invitation from this guy they hated. Yeah, I guess it was well. Uh, what was the colonel said they told me it was life and death or something or maybe as a reverend anyway obviously yeah. it was not just like will you visit this guy but you know this is a matter of life and death right so <laughs> yeah but yeah uh, so a weird elaborate lie to just get them there in the first place yep yeah okay but yeah i i guess just all in all because and because of just the end apocalyptic view, which you know, that always trips me out a little bit. The bomb mm-hmm. shelter itself definitely tripped me out because the one the shelter doesn't. That one's relatively boring. Where this one, this one's fantastic. You know, it, it does yeah. start to have the trappings of a of a proper bond layer. So I think that kind of design thing will bump it up for me just a touch. 
again the facade of the Raiden building is just so mid-century that I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, that that brings me in a lot. <laughs> hey, do you have a final thought on this episode? Um, do I? Sorry, don't really have to. It was, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I was fascinated that um, you know, the the Reverend said that, you know like life comes at a great cost, but the price of honor is even higher, um, which is an interesting thing for a, a reverend to say that there's things more important than, than one's own life. Um, so I guess we can get into like the, the thoughts of like, did this reverend think he was going to be a martyr to, to his own morality or, or something like that. But it was just a very strong statement. Um, from the spiritual leader in, in this episode that, you know, one's time on this mortal plane, it's, it's not the end all and be all of, of existence. So I, I found that a, a pretty powerful ending statement. Yeah. I guess when this was made, having a reverend is um, shorthand for this person believes that things will go on after death. Now yeah. you would be like, does the, is he, is that just his job it, or is he actually believe or not? You know, it, mm -hmm. it, we'd have to suss that out now. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's been a real run in modern horror of like anybody who uh, believes in God is a real psychopath. Um, whereas in a movie like the exorcist, you know, they're, they're very flawed individuals, but you, you take them and their mission seriously. Uh, so, yeah, it just depends on, on how that character is written and, and, and how it's performed. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess that doesn't involve so much with the other two. But let's wrap this one up then. Um, oh, man, I'm trying to remember. I, I still am working on this podcast name. It's Popcorn and then it's and then it's Epis. Pop, I, Popcorn Epis. Eschaton. Eschaton. Okay, words I gotta learn. So, uh, yeah, yeah, dig that for some uh, <laughs> multimedia spirituality benders. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, the the episode we just released was on the thirty sixth chamber of Shaolin. Um, I had my friend Trevor on, um, and so Scott, Trevor, and I discussed like self actualization and and how film can help uh, one's own like mental health. Cause, uh, my friend Trevor has had some troubles in the past. And so we go in, into, into how 36 chamber, like helped him through that. So it was a real, uh, fascinating discussion. All right. Uh, as for this, it is time enough podcast for that on Twitter, for that on Facebook, on Patreon, we're part of the podcastio podcastius umbrella, where we also talk about really good movie supposedly really good movies and supposedly really bad movies on films and filth i talk about disney on the occult disney and there's some gamer pods like luke loves pokemon hyrule field report about zelda and the game game show with gamers gaming each other okay i think i got that all out so yeah you know you you know my favorite twilight zone elevator maybe that's a question. Oh, uh, I I don't. Oh, okay. That's a that's a tower of terror. I just I was surprised. Oh, Rod, okay, sure. I just sure. surprised Rod wanted to get in that elevator in this episode, but uh, <laughs> I don't have to get in any elevators today, so I'm good. Okay.